The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. My name is Jack. And I'm Sharon. And we are the Chow family. And we will be reading scripture today, starting with Daniel 9, 16 to 23, and then 1 John chapter 1, 5 to 10. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your, op- and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our Lord, and hear, Upon, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, Consider the word and understand the vision. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10 to 10. This is a message uh, we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship in one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his words have no place in our lives. This is the word of the Lord. Have a great day, church. Thank you so much, uh, Jack and Sharon. And Wow, it's so good to be up here right now. Last time I was up here a few weeks ago, there was uh, maybe one or two sprinkled here, and uh, it is so good to see. I just want to stand and look at you for a while. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's good to be together, and how blessed we are that finally we see this lifting and we are so anticipating God uh, opening up things more in our, in our country, God healing our land, and God enabling us to, to gather in worship and fellowship and prayer and ministry. And so uh, I look forward to that. I, I encourage you to remember uh, what Kevin shared earlier, that scripture that we covenanted at the beginning of COVID. Do not look out for your, only your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. And, and if we, if, we, if we hold the course on that, uh, we're going to be able to really enjoy this reunion, this happening that's going on right now. Praise God. 
Hey, I just want to give you a heads up, but we're going to get back into Romans starting in September. We've been there for about a year, and we're getting back to it, and um, we're going to be into chapters 9 to 11, pretty exciting passages of Scripture to talk about how Israel fits with the church today and what God's plans are. So I encourage you to, to be pondering that as we get ready. And, and I also want to just, um, just make mention of the series that we're in this summer, Lessons on Prayer from Men and Women of Faith. After we chose the 10 people from the Bible that we were going to go through and examine their prayer lives, we, we realized there's two of them that are women. And uh, we thought it would be cool to have a woman share on the two Sundays when the prayers of women women are being studied. And so on July 18th, if you were here, you heard Janet Lalden share on the prayer of Hannah and how she uh, sought the favor of God and how God met her in that. And then in a couple of weeks, on August 22nd, you're going to be hearing Barb Brewer share from Mary's uh, Magnificat, that incredible prayer in Luke chapter 1, how she extols the mercy of God. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. I, I share that with you because there have been a few of you that have had questions about women in the pulpit. And uh, as pastors, we have appreciated discussing that matter with you over the last couple of weeks. And I assure you, I want to assure you of three things in a general way. Three things. Number one, I want to assure you that we at this church family, this company of believers, we hold a high view of Scripture. And we want to uh, understand the truth and we want to obey the truth of God. And so we have good conscience before the Lord in this matter. Secondly, I want to share with you that we are a community of faith that really revels in grace. And we want to extend grace to each other. And we want this to be a grace uh, fellowship. And then thirdly, I want to tell you that we're a local church that likes to utilize the giftings of the body of Christ as God has assembled and distributed those giftings throughout the church family, men and women. And so then under the authority of pastoral leadership, we don't want anyone to not be op having opportunity every so often maybe to use their gifts of the Spirit. And in this case, it was Two women sharing from the perspective of women who have prayed in the Bible. And so um, we asked these two women if they would have uh, the opportunity to share if they would. And uh, then they said graciously they would. They agreed. And we sim simply said, let's, let's share a woman's perspective on that. So that's a kind of a three-minute explanation if you want to talk more about that. Any one of us as pastors is glad to follow up on conversations uh, concerning that, that matter. Let's take some time to pray right now before we open God's word. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we, we bow before you. We acknowledge your Lordship, Jesus. We acknowledge the lifeline, Holy Spirit, that you are to everything that we enjoy that has been bought by Jesus Christ at the cross and through the empty tomb. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that we are a company of, of believers in Jesus Christ that are seeking to walk it out in, in the best way possible to keep truth and grace always together. And uh, so, Lord, would you help us through all kinds of changing seasons, all kinds of things that we may not always see eye to eye on, but help us, O oh God, to keep focused on our unity, which is in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the Spirit. 
And so we thank you for that. Father, this has been such a hard time for the church, for many that have been isolated. And uh, now we're getting to come back together. We're so happy for that, God. We pray that you'd bring it on more. And Lord, would you just heal our land and help us, oh Father, we call out to you. We know that you've been at work, oh Lord. We know that you have had plans and purposes to fulfill in the last year and a half, in our own lives and in our lives corporately. And so we receive that, God. We want to learn from you. And Lord, uh, we think of the, the, the difficulty this season has brought with the dryness for fires that are going and raging, God. Would you send rain for farmers that are in drought, having to maybe even kill off some of the herd or... Uh, Lord, just pray, oh God, would you meet them? Would you help our land send rain, Father? Would you enable us to respond and learn from all the things that are going on around us, oh God, to have ears to hear? And now even this morning as we open up your word in the book of Daniel, Lord, would you give us ears to hear what you want to teach us, lessons on prayer, from Daniel and his friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that you've been enjoying the prayer series this summer, and uh, I believe that every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ can go through really dry times in our spiritual walk. I believe that it's normal, in fact, to, to go through seasons of being parched and dry and, and, and feeling melancholy, feeling distracted, feeling a sense of disconnect from God. And um, that can have a result of being stunted spiritually. And uh, I, I know a few people that even in this season right now that literally are, are their wells have gone dry, literal wells, you know. And um, it's a tough time. Uh, we're hearing reports of farmers whose ponds and sloughs are drying up. They don't have, they can't feed their cattle. Feed is going up sky high. People are, are, are killing off half of their herds because they can't afford to feed them. It's a tough time. And um, we want to keep praying. What's the solution? More rain. Absolutely, more rain. But if you'll just let me go with this for a bit in an illustrative form. If you have a drilled well, more rain is not the only solution. If you have a drilled well... You need more than just a good rain. Surface water will not address the problem of drilled well that's gone dry. As you can see from the picture, you have a deeper problem because your pipe's not even in the water table. There's a problem there that has to be addressed at a deeper level. And of course, it's either that the water table comes up to where your pipe is or you drill down deeper. I know some people that are drilling wells deeper right now. And I think about this as an illustration of our prayer life, our closeness to God. Sometimes we can feel so dry, so parched, so unable to taste of the goodness of the Lord. And a short-term solution, a surface solution isn't going to do it. I mean, if your well stops giving you water, you get someone to come in and check the whole system. They look at the pump. They look at the pressure tank. They check the, the line for leaks. They look at the foot valve. They can do all that they want to do, but at the end, when they finally come to the point of saying, there's no equipment malfunctioning here, they're going to maybe suggest to you that your well's gone dry, and the only solution is you've got to drill deeper to get into the water. 
And I believe that that's the same when it comes to our spiritual lives. In fact, when do you press into God more and drill deeper into God until there are dry times when you don't sense and taste of the goodness of the Lord? And so when we get dry, the deeper problem has to be addressed by deeper solutions. If you take this diagnostic to your spiritual life, you start to feel dry, you start to feel distant from God. Some of the symptoms follow. You start to entertain sin, and it doesn't bother you like it used to. You start to become worldly and self-absorbed. It doesn't bother you like it used to. Nothing you change on the surface is dealing with the depth of the problem because it's not a surface problem. You try reading the Bible more. You change the devotional that you use on a daily basis. You change churches. You, you talk to a Christian friend about your dryness and so on. Nothing you change on the surface is dealing with the problem. It's not a surface problem. It's a deeper problem. It's an issue of you and God, and prayer, sincere prayer, genuine prayer kind of prayer that digs the well deeper. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The kind of prayer that we can do in dry seasons of life that digs deeper into God and, and punctures through that living water that is the Holy Spirit Jesus described. And it wells forth and it, it results in this incredible, spontaneous prayer life that just loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, prayer in the dry seasons of life. And I think if what I've described to you this morning in any way uh, stirs a thirst in you for some of that living water, I want to point us to the book of Daniel because I think Daniel and his friends knew how to drill down into God and they knew how to maintain fresh faith. And I want to share three things with you this morning from the book of Daniel and your you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to just turn to chapter 1 right now because we're going to go really quickly through some of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, first of all, the heart of prayer, which is a resolve to put God first. Then we're going to talk about the habit of prayer, which is remaining faithful despite the circumstances. And then we're going to talk about the humility of prayer, which is recognizing this need for confession that we've been talking about. So those are the three things that we're going to cover this morning as we study what to do in dry times of prayer. Let's start with the heart of prayer, which is res resolving to put God first. You know, last week I really enjoyed uh, listening this week uh, to Doug's message. Pastor Doug shared last week on the book of 2 Kings about the King, King Hezekiah. And in that time in history, as he described, in chapter 17, the northern kingdom of Israel was being attacked by Assyria. And uh, the king of Assyria was coming in and just taunting and and uh, he basically came in and ransacked the northern kingdom of Samaria, of, of Israel, and he, he deported them all as slaves, took them to Assyria. And then he's, he's done with that. He's going off to the southern kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem. He's ready to attack Jerusalem. And, and there they have a godly king. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah uh, receives this intimidating, fearful letter from the king of Assyria. And I love the picture in chapter 19 of 2 Kings, when he goes in before the temple of the Lord, he goes in and he lays the letter before God in the temple. And he just says, God, this is what's going on. Save us. We can't, we can't, we're no match to the king of Assyria. And uh, as you know, 
God met them and miraculously, miraculously sent the Assyrians back home. Now, I want you to fast forward over 100 years in biblical history. And a new world power has overtaken Assyria. They're gone. Enter Babylon, the mighty Babylonian empire. The king on the throne in Daniel chapter 1 is the mighty Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He has besieged Jerusalem, and he is deporting into exile many of the Jews that are going to be made slaves in Babylon. Remember Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we wept. But many of them that were taken from Jerusalem, some of them were nobility. Some of them were well-educated. Some of them were handsome and in good form and, in, and knew the arts and the language and so on. So they were useful to the king of Babylon. And four of those are spoken of in the beginning of Daniel, one of them meaning Daniel himself, who is named Belteshazzar, and then his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and his Azariah, who are renamed Come on, be with me. Who are renamed. Let's try that again. Who are renamed. There you go. Okay. You got it. Daniel chapter 1, the first thing King Nebuchadnezzar does uh, is starts to exalt himself. He's trying to equip these young men from Jerusalem to be in his court, and he starts to feed them the best of everything. In chapter 1 of Daniel and verse, I'm sorry, I'm getting behind on my PowerPoint. In chapter 1 of Daniel, the first thing we read is that it says that in Daniel 1.8, they decide not to defile themselves with the king's food and wine. And God shows these four young men favor, and they rise to the top of this nobility class that have been taken into exile. And uh, they, they become this elite, and they, they're looked to by King Nebuchadnezzar. In Jan chapter 3 of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is becoming proud, and he makes a statue of gold, and he requires everybody to bow down. You know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do that. And so um, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And in the fiery furnace, I love those famous words, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, they say, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire, and it, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship that golden image that you have set up. So God's able to save us, and if not, well, that's okay. Uh, they're resolved to put God first. Daniel chapter 4, another scene appears. Nebuchadnezzar has had some awful dreams. They're scaring him to death. Nobody in the kingdom can interpret the dreams, but then they hear about Daniel and his understanding. Daniel walks into the presence of the king, and uh, he, he, he begins to tell him the dreams and interpret them for him, but it's not good news. It's bad news. It's, it's news that says God is going to humble you and, until you are like a wild ox. It ain't going to go well for you. He, he's resolved to put God first, though. And he tells the truth. 
And he says in chapter 4, verse 27, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off from your sins and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. There may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. He gives him the truth of God. About a year later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around on the roof of his palace and he's getting boastful and he's thinking, look at all this that I have done with my glory in hand. And in a, in a moment, a voice comes from heaven. He is immediately struck and within hours he is out in the fields like a wild ox, a madman. It says in the scriptures that his hair became like eagle's feathers, his nails were like bird's claws. And then it says later on that his reason slowly returns to him because he humbles himself before God. Maybe he remembered the words of Daniel. He humbles himself before God. Chapter 4, 37, famous words. Famous words. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those are the words that stick out in my head. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Why am I going through all these stories? Didn't you say you were going to talk about prayer this morning, Pastor? Yes, I'm going to be talking about prayer. What's the first point I want to make about prayer? Prayer at the heart of it is the resolve to put God first. You can't have a deep prayer life if God is not first in the first place. You see, prayer cannot be a push-button appendage to faith. Prayer is not an add-on elective. It's not perfunctory. God is not a vending machine. He knows if you're just going through the motions and just saying the words and the rest of your life, God's way down on the bottom of the heap. The heart of prayer flows from a, a life that is resolved to put God first. You don't have to have a perfect life, a sinless life. No one will. But you have a sincere life and you take the Almighty seriously. And all of life you bring under his lordship. That is why so many times in my prayers, I am simply dealing with myself before God before I get to prayer. I am simply acknowledging my baggage and God's presence on my true self. The, the distractions of my heart, the affections of my heart that are all wild and crazy and distracted. Sometimes that takes a long time to get into prayer. I may not even enter prayer some mornings with the resolve to put God first, but I try that by the time I leave prayer, my resolve is to put God first that day. And so we come before the Lord, and sometimes we're just saying, Lord, I'm not willing on that front but I'm willing to be made willing. That's okay. That's where your heart's at. Resolve to put God first. That's what Peter says in 3.15. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Now, why would he say that? Why is it so important to set apart Christ as Lord? He goes on in chapter 4 to say why. And it's all about your prayer life. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers, he says. You want to keep this line clean and open before God. 
Because prayer flows from your life, from who you are at the core, from the reality of your lived existence, from your true passions and your true affections. God knows what's in your heart, and he wants you to bring that heart to him. He doesn't want you to bring some cleaned-up fake heart to him. Oh, God, you're so wonderful. No, he wants you to bring that heart, your heart, with all the divided affections and emotions and distractions and unforgiveness and crap. Can I say that in the pulpit? He wants you to bring that heart to him. Okay, now, now we can do business, God says, now that, you're, now that you're real with me. That's the first point on prayer that I learned from Daniel and his friends is that it, it, it's the heart of prayer is just put God first. Secondly, let's move on from the heart of prayer to the habit of prayer, remaining faithful despite the circumstances. In chapter 5 of Daniel, if you're following through with me, in chapter 5 of Daniel, there's a new king in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has died. He's finished well, by the way. And Nebuchadnezzar has died. His son, Belshazzar, is on the throne. One of the first things that Belshazzar does that reveals his true heart is that he calls his servants to go to the treasury of Babylon and pull out all the vessels of gold and silver that his father, earlier in his life, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. All the goblets of, sto- of silver and gold, all the trays and dishes and all that stuff. He calls them, gets them into his palace, and then he starts to have a big drunk with his family. He is partying, seriously partying with his family. Chapter 5. And as he's partying and half out of drunk, he, he, he sees on the wall of the palace a human finger. And it's making all these drawings. It's, it's writing something. And he is petrified. He's scared. Doesn't know what to do. Calls in the astrologers, the magicians of Babylon. He says, help me out. None of them can interpret this. His queen is sitting beside him, and she says, your dad had this guy named Daniel. Maybe you should call him. Daniel comes in, and the king is about to reward him with great riches if he'll just interpret the dream. Daniel says, I don't want your money. I don't want any reward. Here's what the dream means, though. It's not a new message, folks. Does God ever have a new message? (laughs) You know what the message is going to be? Just humble yourself and acknowledge God. That's what God says to us all the time, too. Would you just stop being so big on yourself? Accept you were wrong. Admit you're... Forgive that person. Humble yourself. Acknowledge God. That's what he says, basically. Humble yourself. Acknowledge God. Chapter 5, verse 27. The words are, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. Your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. That's a pretty big message to receive, especially if you're, you're drunk. Guess what? That very night, King Belshazzar is killed. Just like that. If you're counting, we're moving on to the third king, Darius. The Medes and the Persians come in and they take over Babylon. 
King Darius is the first king in that era. And in chapter 6, we read that the high officials of Darius, they recognize the reputation that Daniel has. It precedes him. And they say to themselves, there's no way this guy is going to be discredited unless it has something to do with his faith in his God. That's what it says in the scripture. It says, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless he find it in connection with the law of his God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if everybody could say that about us? You know that Terry Jank, he's not a jerk, but boy, don't touch his faith stuff. He's pretty serious about that. I can be a jerk all by myself. <laughs> but man, they're saying, no, you gotta, if you're going to get him, you're going to have to get him around his faith. And so they scheme a scheme, and it's nothing new. What do they do? They appeal to the pride of Darius. And they say, O king, make an edict that if anybody prays to anybody except you, O king, for 30 days, they will be thrown in the lion's den. And guess what? The pride of Darius thinks, hey, that's not a bad idea. And so they make the edict. It goes out, and what does it say in chapter 6, verse 10? It says that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed. He went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God because he had the habit of praying. And the habit didn't change because the circumstances changed. I wonder if we'd have done the same I think that we're prone to change our habits sometimes because of the circumstances. I'm not arguing for legalism in the least. I'm simply drawing your attention to the fact that when a heart is resolved to put God first, the habits just keep on going to put God first. And it's a lot easier to remain consistent and faithful in prayer despite the circumstances when that's the case. Well, you know the story. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And I love the way artists depict this, this picture. I, I often wonder, it's, just, it's completely imaginary, what in my mind, I wonder, did he sleep with the lions? Did he use one of their paws as a pillow? Did he pray all night? What did he do? King Darius goes to his palace and his feather bed, and he, he has a restless night, can't sleep. And meanwhile, Daniel's probably just having the greatest sleep of you know, lying down, is that something that's good? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> and he's, he, he has a terrible night. You know, it says in the, in the Bible that the, the pictures, they, they, put, they rolled the stone over the, the den. Kind of get the picture of rolling the stone ahead of the grave. None of the soldiers that rolled that stone there the night before expected to find anything but bones and blood down there the, night, the next morning. And yet when they roll that thing away, there he is just, hey, good morning. I love it. King Darius runs down. He's so happy because he, he somehow he knew this guy's innocent. And uh, what is the lesson? Well, God sent an angel to take care of things. And... Um, I think that sometimes we look at God through the lens of our, ex, of our circumstances instead of looking at our circumstances through the lens of God, right? 
sovereign God fulfilling his purposes. I really want to move on to the third point, and that is the humility of prayer, recognizing the need for confession. We're going to go to chapter 9 now, passage that Jack and Sharon read partially to us. And in chapter 9, we, we see that Daniel has gone and gotten the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. I love this. Here's one book of the Bible's author reading one of the other guys. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. And, and we, we ponder, what was it that he was reading in Jeremiah? But one of the things that makes his prayer so bold is because he saw the promises in the Word of God. And I think that if, if, it's, if it's something we should learn from, it is that oftentimes our praying will become more bold because we have been given a promise in the Word of God. And, and that's the way we should pray. Maybe some of you have seen this book by Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham. She's written a, a book called The Daniel Prayer. And I like what she, she says in the book. She, she writes that, that this prayer of Daniel's in chapter 9 was made more bold because of the prophet Jeremiah. And, and she surmises, it's just surmising. Did he read Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10? It says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray for me and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity back to Jerusalem. Like, there's, there's a promise. Just in bold letters, it's, it's there in the scroll of Jeremiah. And Anne Graham Lotz writes this. She says, when Daniel read those verses, I wonder if he rubbed his eyes and had to read them again. Did his heart skip a beat? Did that mean that, that maybe in a few years we'll be out of here? And he started counting the years they'd been in captivity some people suggest they've been in captivity already 67 years. Do the math. That's only three more years. In three years, could we be out of captivity? In three years, could God bring us back to Jerusalem? In three years, will God provide his promise and his word become true? And then he started to think further, and he, he read in Jeremiah, but Jeremiah also talks about the conditions of the promise. If you humble yourself, if you confess your sin. And so what do we see in chapter 9, the passage that was read to us this morning? Oh, he's coming before God and he's confessing his own sin and the sins of his people. He's in sackcloth and uh, he's praying and he's crying out to God. It's like, the sec it's, like, it's like the Chronicles prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I will heal their land. I'll hear their prayer. That's what Daniel's doing in chapter 9. I love it. And one of the most important uh, spiritual lessons that I received when I read that is that I believe that imminent spiritual awakening is coming when we see God's people confessing their own sin and not so focused on pointing out the sins of everybody else. Because that's what Daniel does. 
I would, I would dare say that Daniel was probably one of the most righteous people in captivity that had been taken from, from Jerusalem. And yet, what does he say? We have sinned. He doesn't say, oh, God, they, they did this. No, he says, we have sinned. I think that's an incredible picture. Can we identify that we're all in this together? And that we all need to humble ourselves before the Lord and see his grace. <clears throat> well, there's so many more lessons that we could describe. And, um, but I, 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 feel, I feel I'd like to share something with you that's a dream I had. And uh, so, so I want to share uh, a dream I had this week. I don't usually remember my dreams, but I, I woke up one morning this week <clears throat> and I had dreamt about my guitar. And uh, that I haven't touched in, in, a, in a long time. And somebody in the dream had sort of tripped over my guitar and uh, I was angry with them and I, I picked it up and I looked at the front of my guitar, the top of my guitar was, was normal, but on the back side of my guitar there was a big crack. And, and then as I looked at the crack, it wasn't a fresh new crack, it was a dry crack because it hadn't been used and it was just fallen into dry disrepair, whatever. And uh, I asked the Lord, as soon as I woke up this past week after that dream, I asked the Lord, what does that mean? And I felt the Lord say to me that, again, context is everything. This summer, Pat and I have visited friends over the summer, not from this church, but by other people, and two of our friends sang and played guitar some psalms that they had written. The psalms were in the Bible, but they had put music to it, fresh new lyrics and music. And they'd both done that, and I was kind of convicted because I haven't picked up my guitar in probably a year or two. And they don't do it for some publisher. They just do it for private worship. And so when I woke up, immediately those two guys came to my mind, and God convicted me that that my guitar is like a, a spiritual metaphor for me, that on the top side of the guitar, everything's normal. I'm going through everything like I've done. I, I get up in the morning. I have my time with the Lord. I read my Bible. I pray. But there's something of that depth of intimacy with Jesus that's lacking. If you turn the thing over, there's a crack. It's kind of like a well. All the equipment of the well is working fine. What's the problem? You've got to dig deeper, get into that living water. And so the Lord just used that. And I don't know what he's going to use in your life. Maybe you're not musical and music's not the thing. But what is it that God's going to use in your life to awaken you to say, hey, there's more of me. And you know the thing that's incredible, the most wonderful lesson that God reminded me of this week after that dream was that I don't need to be this way. I don't need to have that kind of relationship with God. Our Heavenly Father is full of mercy and his spirit and, and, and the anointing can come upon any one of us to just by prayer drill deeper into his living water and experience more of his fullness in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, when you give us the gift of seeing you with more awe of recognizing 
that you are the one that this life revolves around. I thank you for that gift. And here we are, your children, your church, gathered together in person and online. And I confess, and I think each one of us confesses, that sometimes, at one season or another, maybe right now for many, things feel dry. We feel sometimes distant from you. And we recognize at the same time as that, that you've never changed. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, that you would invite us to bring that to you. That you would invite us where we need to, to ask for forgiveness and to wait on your healing. But I also pray that by your grace that you would help us, help us, Lord, to resolve to put you first. We recognize that there are so many things competing with that. And most of them have to do with us trying to fill, fill ourselves, fill ourselves or distract ourselves from things that we feel or worry about or are concerned with. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to put you first. Help us to see and to trust more deeply in your faithfulness so that we can, with confidence, put you first and put the other things down that we're striving for. Help us to drill deep. Help us to pray more continually. I thank you, Lord, that you are patient and that you are continuing to work in us and grow us. And as you see fit, help us to help one another in that too. Thank you for meeting us today and for the powerful word that you've given us. Just bless us as we go into the rest of our day from wherever we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Amen.